Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in today to this really interesting conversation that we are having revolving around aliens. Now this conversation isn't going to be uh, in the scope of what do they look like or where are they from. This conversation really revolves around what would be the response within humanity if we found definitive proof for intelligent life. And that's really what we're talking about today. Uh, so I decided to have a couple of friends on. We've had Tom on before. Tom Pfeiffer is a, a former pastor and he is extremely intellectual and just asks really incredible questions. And also I decided to have uh, an old, old friend of mine on, a guy I've known for about a decade. His name is Chase Smith. And he is a worship pastor and a student ministry pastor and uh, all the time podcaster. In 2018, he founded Press Play Podcast and he also hosts his own podcast called the Chase Smith Podcast. Super fun conversation today. I really hope that you guys all enjoy what we talk about. Uh, you can also find Tom uh, and his podcast is Unraveling with Tom and Pete. So this is kind of like a triple crossover. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really, really hope you all enjoy this podcast. LB, if you're listening, I love you. I miss you. And that will never change. So we have like this conversation has been on like the peak of my brain for, I mean, cause I've already recorded a couple of conversations this year. Um, like in the, I, like two days ago I recorded, uh, for a podcast and I'm recording this upcoming weekend. Um, but this is like the conversation I've been wanting to have because this is like this invert, like this, this conversation, this, this topic is, is like this, uh, confluence of a few different ideas and principles that are kind of coming, like uh, converging uh, into a conversation that I never, ever saw coming. And it's kind of revolving. I mean, like, I'm going to bring a lot just so you guys right off the bat. And for those listening, I'm going to bring a lot of science into this conversation. We're going to talk all about space and uh, telescopes and the, the principles of uh, telescopy and all of the stuff that comes with that. I'm so glad you're bringing that because I have absolutely <laughs> nothing to contribute to that part. So I was really hoping that you were going to come in hot and heavy at the beginning. Oh, and I'm then like I'll be like, cool, right thanks for that. <laughs> I'm so geeked out right now. If you guys have wonderful um, like uh, questions as we go, please like interrupt me because I tend to get a little excited and I'll just want to keep talking about you know, space and, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love space. I, uh, so this is a true story. It was flying back from, um, the Mars Virgin, uh, the Virgin islands about <laughs> a, a 10, 12 years ago. <laughs> and we got rerouted. We had to go, go to Philly. Anyway, um, we had to take a, it was, it was at night and, uh, it was like pitch black, right? 3000 feet in the air. And I realized that, this was the closest I'm going to be to being in outer space. Uh, and it, it was, I was like, I was in an airplane. It was really dark and I'd never really flown at like 1130 at night before. And it oh, was just the most beautiful dark. thing. Yeah. And so I got so excited. I had stood up like they're passing out blankets and little pillows in this airplane. Um, wanting people to sleep. I stood up and I went to uh, one of the um, like airline um, hostesses. What are they called? Stewardess. A flight attendant. A flight attendant. Yes, thank you. And I said, "Look, this is a really dumb question, but 
do you guys have like a moonroof? I could just like look straight <laughs> at that. <laughs> I, I was just so, because uh, I, I love space too. And I was just oh like, if I don't ask, it was a really dumb question, but I just, I love it. And I can't wait to hear someone who loves <laughs> well, you, the science. Well, you know those I'm planes. Gonna, I'm going to geek out. Like you know, those planes have uh, the you know, like in the school buses, they have the the push Emergency. up. You know, like those planes have those. Man, you just got to push really hard, and they, it just pops up, and yeah, and you can look at the stars. That was and, my chance. That was my chance. Yeah, you know, oh, man. You know. So we have. I mean, like, so you guys obviously have heard of uh, you know the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of the the predecessor of. Uh, the new telescope that just launched, launched on, I don't know if you guys know any of this stuff, so I'm going to pretend like you don't. Please pretend don't. like we don't. I know nothing. Okay. I'm going to be Googling everything as you talk about it. So yeah. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> so the Hubble Space Telescope was launched, and I'm. this is all off the top of my head, so uh, Tommy, correct me as I go if I need to be. <laughs> I, like, I like corrections in real time. Uh, I would say that my... Uh, Google memory is pro- is like 90% fidelity, which is pretty good. Um, so that's pretty good. Um, Hubble was launched, I believe it was like April 24th, 1990. And, uh, so it's like 30, um, like just, just over 30 years ago. It was 92. Um, it's just over 30, like, like it's, oh yeah, it was 1990. So it's been 32 years ago. It was originally only planned to be in space for like 15 years. And they had a, a few a few ideas, few options for what it was going to be. Uh, the first three years, um, the the scientists at NASA did a, did a single math math calculation wrong on one of the um, on one of the uh, lenses, and for three years Hubble was blurry, and uh, it was like this huge embarrassment to all of NASA and everything. Uh, and so they had to send a crewed mission up there to change out a lens and it, it totally fixed everything. But for three years, like, uh, they spent, you know, um, $500 million to build this school bus size telescope to go up and, uh, you know, uh, orbit around earth and they couldn't see anything. <laughs> I think every science classroom in our like elementary school, like United States had a picture of the Hubble of telescope. Of the Hubble, their- Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's right. I, I mean, it, so but as soon as it got fixed, and the way that Hubble works um, is uh, it's kind of like a open platform, and a lot of people don't don't know this, but if you're a scientist, if you're an astrologer, um, like an astrologist, um, astronomer, you can um, apply to use the Hubble Space Telescope for whatever you want to use it for. And um, so, it, like, it, as long wow. as the you know manifest is empty, you can apply. And go use the, the as long as you have the right interface with the computer and you understand it, you can point it wherever you want in the sky, and it will uh, it'll for the length of however long your uh, application is. And there was a scientist in 1995, and this is really when everything changed. So like the very first images were like of Saturn and of Mars. They were trying to get images of. Um, the auroras over Saturn on the on the poles of uh, of Saturn it got some beautiful beautiful images, um, and then this this uh, the scientist pointed Hubble uh, at this pretty much like a, a blank space in the sky, and it's it's kind of like uh, just outside of uh, Ursa Major, like the Big Dipper, and it's it's just no, there's nothing there, which was a new it was a new idea for Hubble because typically when you are applying for Hubble, you have an idea like I have this star system, I'm gonna go in and look at this. Well, this scientist went in and was like, yeah, we're gonna look at nothing, and it was this new concept and this new idea, and so uh, a lot of his uh, 
peers thought he was kind of crazy for wasting all of this time to go in and look at nothing. And when they shined, uh, when they pointed uh, the Hubble Space Telescope at this point of nothing, uh, ended up calling it the deep Hubble Deep Field, uh, it revealed like 100 million points of light within this a space of nothing because they pointed it there for 10 days. I believe they took some 300 still images and different uh, wavelengths. I think there was five different sensors on Hubble. And so it's, it's, it's photographing an ultraviolet light and then all the way down through the, the main um, arc of uh, visible light and then just touches infrared. So it like, it, it's, it kind of scans all of those things. So it's, it's looking at all of these things and uh, about a hundred million different sources of light. And they, they're saying all of those are galaxies and they're different. It's galaxies at different stages of formation. So it kind of showed the history, not only of the galaxies, but of the formation of the universe and of early galaxies and how they were misshapen. And it was really, really interesting and they were like, what if this is just a fluke? We found one point in the sky that was just weird. So then they pointed the, 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 tele, the telescope south. So that was pointing basically straight north, uh, you know, uh, in relation to the Earth. Okay, yeah, that was, I had a question. Are there, there, are there cardinal directions in space? Like, there that are. seems like another dumb question but i just don't yeah know. like what's the frame of reference how do you determine what's the what I direction guess Earth would well be. it's i mean any any given any given frame of re- reference can be the frame of reference typically um for earth and for us when we are looking at anything celestial the earth is the frame of reference so if you are in space looking you reference back to earth and then go north so everything revolves around the earth. We heard it here on Mark Explains Podcast. <laughs> yep. That would yep. be called Mark a, Science right there. A geocentric. <laughs> that would be called a geocentric frame of reference. Uh, when you're looking at celestial objects, that is the truth. What we don't it's not a it's a helio, heliocentric model of the of the solar system now. I'm just knowing where our conversation is potentially going, I'm gonna like put a little bookmark on that exact point. <laughs> Because I think that that's what I want to talk about. One of the things, but keep sciencing, uh, keep going, Mark. Yeah, this is great, Mark. I'm, you're, I, you're funny. Just, <laughs> no, I love it. Um, yeah, this is this is fun. So they they pointed the the telescope south and into a tiny little patch of nowhere um, off the South Pole. And the reason they do the north and the south is because uh, uh, the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, is uh, is tidally locked at about 390 miles out. So that means it it orbits more or less at um, the equator. And so it can't point uh, at anything to where if the Earth would be in its view at certain points during its orbit, because it orbits the Earth about every 90 minutes or so. So if it's pointing, it's pointing at something uh, and then the Earth comes in the point of view. It can't. It can't do that. So it had to go either north or south, so that way it could point at that object during the entire orbit. So it picked. They picked a spot north, and then they picked a spot south. And both spots had over a hundred million sources of light in these images, uh, which is it, it was hard for the scientists to grab on at first, um, to like to kind of grab at the gravity of these images because it changed all of uh, all of astronomy it changed everything because then all of a sudden we have we have these uh, a, a, a chronological diagram of the history of the universe in one image because the further they look um, the the older the celestial object 
and it kind of and it was all in one all in one photograph. It was, it was just wild. It, it so how far in the mind. past? Like how far out were these? Like how many light years are we talking about? Uh, well, uh, the, the original, um, the the one that went north was like twelve point two billion years. Uh, was the furthest source of light, um, but the one that went south was thirteen point four. Uh, but it, it's it, what Hubble also did was it, it it also showed that the expansion of the universe is is accelerating as it goes. Mm. So we know Einsteinian relativity, um, and you if, know Einsteinian relativity. <laughs> I don't know if we know it, but continue. We collectively, the ubiquitous <laughs> we, um, <laughs> uh, like we understand that Einsteinian relativity. Uh, when it stretches space, it also stretches light. And so there's this term called red shifting. And a source of light that is super far away, and I mean like uh, talking like celestially, like on, on the terms of across you know the universe, 12 or 13 billion light years away, that light will begin to shift. And if it started as, as like a yellow, it'll begin to shift. And then over a certain amount of time, it'll turn orange and then red, and then it'll keep going. Um, and then it'll eventually go into infrared IR. And for our eyes and for Hubble's view, that object will disappear. Even though it's shining yellow or even white, for our view, it'll disappear. So if something is far enough away in our galaxy or in our universe, it's for all intents and purposes to this point, it has been uh, invisible. We can't see it. So, so, you know, you mentioned like one of the directions they were able to see 13.4 billion light years yeah. away. Is, is that like, is that what they're using to say like the universe is 13.4 billion years old? Well, it's the, the calculation is 13.77 and, okay. um, and that, and that is due to the, the, the uh, GMAP probes, that's a whole nother okay. conversation. Um, th that was what was so that's used. not using these images to determine that. That's something else. Yeah, it was something else, okay. but it was also imaging, but it's not imaging like you think. Um, yeah. I was curious because like you're saying there could be stuff that's further away that the light is not hitting us anymore. Could be. Could okay. be. Um, but we know probably, probably. So like I'm going to say all of these things are going to be in very loose terms like sure. could be or probably um, yeah. because – when we see at 12 billion light years away, the galaxies were very um, adolescent in their formation. They didn't look spirally like the beautiful spiral formations that we see, um, like the Andromeda galaxy is this beautiful spiral. The the ones that were super far away, they're, they're kind of like clustered in gas, um, just like just clumps. They don't look real pretty. And that's because that's an early formation of a uh, of a galaxy. And so if all of them... In the, in the photo, if all of them at that distance looked like that, then we can assume that that was probably a starting point or near the starting point instead of having like a mix, you know? If there was a mix of some early and some later ones, some formed ones, you can be like, well, probably if there's formed ones, it'll go back even further. But since there weren't, maybe it was only another billion years before that or maybe half a billion years. It's hard to know, but it's, it's a good guess at that point. Okay. So, <laughs> Chase, you're shaking your I, head. I love this. No, I'm shaking my head because I just keep going, man. I feel like this is like a PBS documentary, and I'm just like, as you're talking, I'm seeing these images as you're explaining them, and I'm just completely sober, music? I promise. I feel it, like this documentary but, needs background oh, music. I, it, I'll put it in. Don't worry. Um, okay. I wish we had but, your... No, I, I want it now. Like, right now. I want my experience to be the documentary. Like, 
I need you to pipe it in. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Done. I got it. Um, so I, but so if if you're like if you're listening to this the first time and you've never seen Hubble Deep Space, go right now. Google Hubble Deep Space images. And Tom is literally gonna. He's doing it right now. I am. I am. Uh, you Chase, listener. are you doing it too? Do it. Like uh, search Hubble Deep Space. Now this is 1995. Was when this came out. Um, these are the images that changed astronomy forever. Like this shifted our view, our understanding of the universe. Like this was groundbreaking. And the reason why is because this this gave us uh, like it was all up to this point. It was. Um, it was all, you know, lowercase theoretical. It was all, um, you know, educated guesses on what we think is going on. Um, you know, we had a lot of really, really smart individuals, but now we have photos, we have pictures, and this changes everything. And I, I'm sure if you're looking at those photos, every little speck of light is not a star, it's a galaxy. This is what it looks like. That's wild. Remember those um, light brights from like the yeah. 80s and 90s that start with like a black sheet of paper? Yep. And if you if you're driving or you're jogging or working out and you can't do this, it looks like you take a light bright black sheet of paper and someone put these like green, orange, red, white, varying sizes of circles in this black sheet of paper. Blue. I mean, that's what it looks like. There's no pattern. There's no word like light bright or anything, but it's, it's what it looks like. Yeah, and it, yeah. It it it, it really looks like well, and also the different colors. Um, are indicative of that red shifting that we were talking before. So if if it, if there is a blue, um, uh, if there's a blue hue to a a, a a galaxy that is out there over time in space, it'll start to shift into the green and then the yellow and into the red and so forth. I just That's realized good. they That's might good, have to Google light bright. I may need to change my reference. I, I think that's good that like if it's blue light out in space, it, it wouldn't be so because I get way too much blue light, you know, in my eyes, especially at night. So that's that's really good that get, it, it kind of chills out and it gets more orange out. before it gets here. You know, yep, it's the first I get a lot better sleep when the, the galaxies <laughs> that are blue light just kind of calm down. Well, it's a the bit, first you know? light to shift away. So you're welcome, universe. You know, for shifting yeah, that away. Thanks. Um, so it, I, you know, side note here, like you you just said. Uh, kind of the backdrop to the universe is like black with all these little spots. Um, there's a little bit of uh, some uh, celestial knowledge here. For the first, uh, I want to say, 100,000 years of the universe, so the, the, the first blip, uh, at like after the first rapid expansion, uh, the universe was so hot and temperature. There's something called um, black body radiation, which is temperature the temperature of something is going to glow at uh, in correlation to uh, uh, like the light of it is going to glow in correlation to the temperature of what it is. And we know that the temperature had to be a certain, a certain temperature for a certain amount of time. And so for the first hundred thousand years or so, the universe, the back, the background color of the universe was orange um, because it was so hot for so long. And then that heat dispersed and it like turned red and the universe was red for a while and then it dispersed into infrared, and now it's just black because it's, uh, it, the heat has dispersed into uh, clouds of dust and now galaxies. Hey, Mark, can, can you remind people what it is you do? <laughs> because I think that's important that this isn't just like... Some guy. Right. We didn't find Mark at the corner of the interstate oh. <laughs> off-ramp and pick him up. Well, I'm... Um, <laughs> Like I know this is a, like a passion project, but there, yeah. 
like there's merit to your genius and I want people to hear that. Well, I'm, uh, I, I'm a chemist by trade and a geoscientist and a prospecting PhD student at Michigan state for, I, well, I did not know that <laughs> for high energy Boom. particle physics. So yes, Mark. <laughs> okay. So science is, is That's awesome. uh, in every part of my life. So this is like a free graduate level lecture. We just, <laughs> oh, like, I would call is, this, is, this is undergraduate. This is super low stuff. Yeah. Oh, the, the, well, this is every day. We're what he's trying to help our listeners you, out here, man. <laughs> <laughs> what, he, what Mark is saying, Chase, is that you and I are dumb because we are overwhelmed by this undergrad lecture. Right. Well, I got my PhD in, in, in physics tonight. Nope. Dude, this no. is like no. 100 level stuff. Come on, man. Yep. One on one. Right. And now, dude, what do you think you are? This is yeah. really, really fun stuff. So the reason why I'm leading into all of that and talking about the Hubble is how much the Hubble changed our life like every bit of our understanding of the universe changed dramatically overnight in the mid 1990s so now we fast forward 25 years and we are in 2020 uh and uh it's still taking images i think it took like 1.3 million images over the over the course of its life and then the past 10 years scientists are like you know what we think we can look further into the universe if we can design a telescope that looks in the infrared spectrum. And the reason why that's interesting is because uh, there's there's cosmic dust. Like if you've seen those nebula uh, pictures of like the crazy colors of the clouds in the universe and stuff, those are nebulas, uh, which is like cosmic dust that's reflecting. I see them now in my mind's eye. Mark. Thank you. <laughs> the crab nebula is one of my favorite. Um, is one of my favorite nebulas. I have a favorite nebula. I don't know. If, you guys should have a favorite nebula. You should go and find your. My favorite, favorite is the daughter of Thanos. Uh, it's my favorite nebula. Oh God. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that appropriately. <laughs> I'm just here to make bad jokes. Continue, Mark. You know, as far as icebreakers go, I've never thought about asking people their favorite nebula. I'm going to add that to the rotation. It's so um, good. Welcome to the new small group. What's your? What? Tell us your name <laughs> and uh, your favorite nebula. Nebula. <laughs> um, so, the, like, the reason why that's important is because infrared light travels through that dust, so we can see further. Um, into the cosmos, we can see further into planetary systems, we can see into a star actually, uh, because of all of the radiation, uh, it's coming out of different wa wavelengths. So the scientists were like, we should create a, an entire telescope that only looks in deep infrared. And so the idea of the James Webb Space Telescope came about about 10 years ago. And uh, also, if you if you think the size, um, the bigger the reflecting mirror, the main mirror, the bigger the mirror, the better the images. Um, I believe Hubble is like 2.4 meters in size, and this one is like 6.7. So it's like three times the size, um, the main mirror. I, I think like some statistics on it are something like it's made of beryllium covered in a thin sheet of gold, and that's in order to protect it. Um, well, well, listen, man, it, it's all on how you use it. Size, I think, is just a number. It's all a matter of how you use it. You can have the biggest <laughs> lens, but if you don't know how to use it right, then... Oh, my God. Um, Such a cheesy just, joke. Such a <laughs> cheesy joke. It matters in science, Chase, and in telescopy, okay? It's the only gotcha. thing where size does matter, and in uh, everything else, it doesn't, <laughs> apparently. Um, Good. I guess that makes sense. Yes. It's... Uh, it, it um so this this telescope is is huge and also 
it's it, it's going to go into a a, a, a much different place um, in our orbit in the orbit around Earth. So uh, you got to think like Hubble just uh, circumvents the Earth every ninety minutes. It orbits around uh, uh, like three hundred and thirty mi- uh, million miles out, and uh, or three hundred and thirty miles out. Um, and, uh, this, uh, James Webb space telescope is going to be really, really far, like 900. So it's going to be way out there, 900 miles out. And it's going to, it's, it's at a place called the Lorange point two, which if you think about like earth has gravity and the moon has gravity and the sun has gravity, there's a certain point between the three of those celestial objects where they're going to pull equally. Like there's a point in space where all three of them are the pole will be equal. And so that's called a Lorange point. And if you can place an object at that point, then it won't have to do many maneuvers in order to, to be stable. And that's, so the idea is to get it out to the Lorange point too. And the orbit around the sun, it kind of looks uh, like a star as it goes around because it has to stay in that, because as the moon uh, orbits and the earth orbits and the sun stays center, it's this wild star shape orbit, which is, that is so cool. It's wild. It's so cool. But because of that stability, it is able to stay fixated on a spot for like a hundred days, which is something that the Hubble can't really do. Yeah. So this is amazing. What does this all mean? Like, why are we, why in the world are we talking about all this space stuff? Because well, I'm not talking about, I'm just listening. I, this is fascinating. Well, I could just keep listening. The reason why I am, I pulled you two incredible humans on this podcast. Uh, and I was like, yo, we need to talk about this today. And the reason why is because NASA right before Christmas hired 24 theologians, which it has okay. never done before. Whoa. It, 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 NASA hired 24 theologians to conduct long-term research on how humanity will respond if it were to come in contact with intelligent life. Interesting. Now, NASA is not known for hiring theologians ever because they are the National Aeronautic and Space Administration. They're not really known for their connection with theology. And they went and hired theologians. And I made a prediction right before this happened that through the James Webb Space Telescope, we are going to uh, discover intelligent life this year. Um, Now, it'll be proof. And actually, like a lot of people think, oh, we're going to find aliens. That's not what my prediction will be. I believe uh, through the James Webb, Webb's, the James Webb t- Space Telescope, that is hard to say, um, I believe um, because it has the ability to uh, search exoplanets for different compositions of star systems that are very far away, like 15,000 light years away, and which is really, really, really cool. Um, so what's new about this? Like the, that we're learning about it or? We don't know. Like, okay. we don't know what we don't know. And we don't know what we're going to find. But I think NASA actually, so here's, I'm going to go into the speculative side of this, is I think NASA knows what we're going to find. And they are preparing in some capacity for th- this stuff to unfold. Now, I am open to the idea that that NASA didn't hire, that 
if if that's if that ends up being fake news, then honestly, like I didn't I didn't truly fact check that. I I had a news source. I had a NASA source actually, which is why I thought huh. that was legitimate information. It, it it might not be, but um, I the idea here is um I made a prediction that uh we are going to find uh proof of intelligent life in this year, and it's going to be due to James Hubb's space telescope. Now that proof of intelligent life is not going to be like, we're going to go find aliens. That's not what I'm, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think it's going to be something like we are going to discover proof of a one world extinction event. Um, and it'll be mm -hmm. like, we find either like uh, galactic structures or even a one world planet like our own that has gone through a destruction um, of some kind, a, a great filter or, um, a, a, a small dwarf star that has expanded and kind of, uh, burned it up, but there is evidence of life previously. That is what I believe we're going to find. That would be intense. Well, I, well, I think it's going to be a will that will be intense. And, and the reason why I say this is, I mean, you have to understand how incredibly powerful the James Webb space telescope is like it's so it, it picks up heat signatures if you were to place um the james webb on the surface of the earth how sensitive that telescope is it could pick up the heat signature of a bumblebee if it was on the moon to give you an idea of the level that's pretty good it's and the moon is about 280,000 uh, miles away so like this is incredibly powerful um, and it's, it's, so the idea here is we are looking into, uh, we're looking into the past, but we're also, I mean, so it, it's also going to look, um, further than ever before. So it's going to, it's going to be able to see these really, really, really early, um, all the way to like 200 million years after the initial expansion. Um, so like 13.6 billion years back, but then look with clarity because it's something we can't do right now. Um, mm -hmm. and there's a few other things that can do. Um, so we'll be able to see the origins much, much more clearly, but the, really the exciting part is, is the ability to search exoplanets, um, in that, ha in the habitual zone. I, I think this is really interesting because this comes on the heels of the Pentagon or Navy or other military All the UFO intelligence. Stuff? Yeah, in 2021, oh. in the middle of quarantine, they're just like, oh, yeah. Hey, I know you guys haven't left the house in like. <laughs> <laughs> in 12 months, but we're going to declassify a bunch of things we don't know anything about. And here are some videos of things that we don't know where they are, or where they came from, or where they went. So here you go. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> and so it is kind of, you do kind of scratch your head and start to, it's easy to ask yourself, what else do they know that we don't know that they are, you know, trying to get ahead of before we know what they know. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, that was, I was all over that declassification. Dude, dump. I didn't that check stuff was file, so interesting. It, it oh. really, really was. Yeah. I, it was like every part of seven-year-old Mark came alive and was like, <laughs> UFOs, they're right. real. And I just like, I mean, oh. Yeah, it was files. All of a sudden, these like random interviews with people, like retired generals, were showing up on like the timeline and everywhere of what they saw and their experience. And uh, it, it was a f exciting. I don't know if anyone remembers if they're listening 
what it was like June or yeah. July of 2021. Yeah, the declassification. Um, it it, it, it kind of had a, a nice little nice little run, and then it was off to something else. But, um, but yeah, this isn't completely out of the zeitgeist of of everyone. Uh, this isn't the first news of this, you know, content either because you hear it once. I feel like once you're kind of desensitized to something yeah. like this, like people are, it's not going to have as big of a shock or whatever they do find. Uh, I don't know. I, I think, well, I think they bleed, you know, I think they bleed you into the information. I think, sure. I think at first what they do is they kind of give it to you and you're like, that's ridiculous. And then some people make a documentary on it and they're a bunch of wackos. Like the guy about the ancient aliens with the crazy hair and you know, like they're a bunch of wackos. They kind of bleed you into it. And then, and then over time it becomes a little more real and then a little more real. And then actual scientists start chiming in and be like, well, this is stuff that we're studying and it's, you know, a little more realistic. I mean, like a lot of those people that are studying simulation theory and it's like actual scientists and you're like, oh, so the matrix could be real, you know? And it's like all of these <laughs> things that are kind of beginning to come to the surface, which at first was, I mean, it was just a bunch of kooks and it's almost like they're bleeding us into and like preparing the human mind because I think, I think if they were just to come out and say it, like with no prep, if they were just be like, oh, by the way, uh, we're not alone in the universe. I think people would lose their damn minds. Like they would go Do you think crazy. that's why scientists aren't coming out? Is they're worried about the impact that it would have on the public? No, I'm going to, I'm going to say that real, real hard and strong. No, scientists okay. don't care. Uh, politicians might, um, yeah. uh, the government might care how they respond. Scientists just want to study science and uncover Put out their info. More science. I, I think they want proof too. Like I would say, probably the the fact that there's not like definitive proof that they can say back up like whatever theory they have. I think is another kind of like thing that's withholding people from saying this is definitely what's out there. Well, a lot of science is presenting the information given. Well, whether mm -hmm. there's conclusive evidence or not, you're going to yeah. present uh, the study that you did, and if it's inconclusive or not interesting, it just gets washed. And then a lot of stuff that as more evidence comes about, your your correlation, your uh, – um, it's called empiricism. Like your your level of confidence in that thing is correlated to the amount of evidence given. And if it if the evidence is overwhelming, then your confidence is overwhelming. And so like a lot of times scientists are just like, well, we're going to present the information and it just gets washed and nobody cares. <laughs> so that's why it never makes it to the surface. That's why nobody ever hears anything. Um, and then you have, I guess I should have let the scientists answer that question. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, but that, well, it's good that you answer it though, because like this is the, the true reflection of, uh, like in a sense, the, the, the dissonance between, um, you know, somebody who studies and then the American eye. And it, like, it's good that we have mm -hmm. this conversation because there's a disconnect there also. Um, mm -hmm. So it's uh, like we are now approaching. Um, and, and honestly, the question, the question I have, and I'm probably going to title the episode something like this is um, what do you guys think? And I actually, I'll, I'll start with you, Tommy. Like, what do you think if, if NASA came down the hill and made a statement and the government would grab onto it real fast and probably twist it. And then Fox news would grab it and then CNN would grab it and make their own headlines for it. Well, what, what do you think would be the human response first in America and then worldwide? How do you think we would respond if they were like, we have definitive evidence uh, that we are confident in saying uh, we are not alone in this universe. And probably we are 
uh, one of hundreds? Um, well, what would you do? So how, how would people respond? Is that the question? Like how would people, in what would general? be the response of humanity? Like in our, in our nation, mm-hmm. yeah. what, like what do you think it would well, turn I mean, political? Our, our nation has a really strong track record of <laughs> responding well to scientific information in 20, the 2020s so far this decade, we've been off to a real good start of like taking scientists very seriously and believing them and not comparing them with our pseudo religion. Um, so that, I think that bodes well for us, Mark. I think, I think we might really digest this, really process it, demonstrate a whole lot of trust, um, allow ourselves to be expanded and to, to be willing to be wrong about what we thought was true. Uh, we'll, we'll really, you know, examine our biases and why we might have a commitment to, oh, I'm committed to the bit because he's committed to the bit. (laughs) No, I, I mean, obviously the sarcasm is there. I think, um, some of the, I've, I've been, I, I didn't know exactly what the question was going to be. Y- you gave us a little bit of it before yeah. we jumped into this. I've been thinking about it a little bit and I, I've been thinking of it through a lot of different angles, like the historical angle, how have people responded to, you know, um, the world being bigger than Europe and, you know, like how, you know, if we're from a faith perspective, like, some some folks did that well. Uh, other parts of the church like created the doctrine of discovery, and that's a paradigm that we tend to follow, right? Um, so I've been thinking through that, and that. But the the way you ask the question there, some of that is just like really basic. Like, what do we do with new information? You know, how well are we able to bring in any kind of new information, and what are the filters that new discoveries and information goes through? And I made the joke about, you know, obviously relating to COVID and things like that, but I do think that would be a pretty solid indicator of what a lot of people would do with this kind of information. Um, well, and before I sound like I'm being critical, like, oh, what all those dumb people would do, I, I think it's what we as humans do. Um, it's yeah. very hard for us. Um, to, you know, unless we have a paradigm that allows us to bring in new information, it's a flexible paradigm. Uh, it's just really hard to do that. Um, so by and large oversimplifying, but like, I I think we would struggle to actually incorporate that new information. Well, I think, I think we're on a, on a, on a precipice here. I mean, cause if you think back, everyone thought that the earth was flat, right? And Pythag- right, I was going to use that example. We'll see, too, and right? then Pythagoras came along and, 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 and uh, showed through geometry that that was incorrect. And then we all thought that it was geocentric, right? We were had a geocentric yep. model of the universe and Copernicus and Galileo kind of uh, showed through complex math turned simple that, well, it's actually the sun. And so like, and that changed, I mean, like people were like up in arms and angry like the scientific yeah. community like they were outcast and this is i feel like um we're, we're approaching if if this comes about we're approaching that same level of yeah that that order of magnitude to where this could sh- it's going to change everything all over again yeah i yeah. mean gosh there's so there's, yes, there's so many different ways that I think people could respond. So there's individual people, like, would they do that? You know, if you're going to go the Pythagoras and um, Galileo and, and Copernicus, you know, Copernicus, all those people, you know, like the church was on record, like, you know, 
saying that this person was a heretic and, you know, so like there, there might be a good number of religious folks that would, you know, go against all that information. I mean, we have efforts in our government in the United States trying to make schools not learn about the history of racism. So I'm sure there would be efforts to, for kids to not learn about this information. You know, I mean, I could, I could see all that kind of stuff happening. So, but to, I mean, using those historical examples, there may be resistance for a long time, um, but it, that would be where the history is actually hopeful for us to say that, like, we got there. <laughs> it, well, Chase, it, took, it took a few generations, but we got there. Well, like, I, I was going to, like, Chase, what, what would you tell, like, first Wednesday back? Like, th- this information is released Monday, and people are going nuts. What are you telling your kids Wednesday? Uh, I, I'm assuming you're talking about at church. Yeah, and I'm yeah, talking, yeah. I'm talking about students yeah. at church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we would. So, so I think this is part of a bigger conversation about deconstruction, um, and how we're in this. And I'm not answering your question, Mark, because I don't know what I would say. <laughs> nice, <laughs> but I, I think I, wanna, I want you to the, the conversation, the, the the conversation with those students. Um, I would probably steer towards being okay for them to ask questions and it's yeah. would be okay for them to, and it's natural for your faith worldview to be expanded this way. And what are fundamental elemental like core values of your faith? Is it that the, there are other people, other organisms, other life. Is it that earth isn't seven days old? Like are those things really, like foundational in your belief in, in God. Yeah. And, and I think that's where I would point the discussion because I think that not only speaks to this question, Mark, but a lot of other questions that I think as you, uh, walk in your faith journey, um, you're going to have to wrestle with hard questions that maybe aren't like, Hey, there's life. What do you think about that? But other questions about, uh, brokenness and, uh, how the world is just so violent and how the world is unfair and how people are awful people and they have the coolest stuff and the best life and they just seem like nothing's wrong and how people like, I think it speaks to other questions that speak to our faith that you can kind of lean into. And I think it just, and I think what we're seeing worldwide is just this whole age of deconstruction, how the, the whole, like it, and I think it just would be almost the, the 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 lighthouse or the keystone or the like final piece to this collective deconstruction that I think uh, a lot of us have gone through and are experiencing. That I would say the church has probably wrestled with and probably lost up to this point of how to deal with um, young adults and adults who are deconstructing their faith and not giving them a safe space. So I think. Mark, to answer your question, I, I got there. I would, I would probably lean into some of these questions that it asks and have a conversation about. Okay, what what do we believe? What is our faith? And do, do questions like, so there's life, you know, a, however many light years away, um, is 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 that okay? And and I would probably encourage them that it is a healthy question that it's okay to ask those questions and um and just kind of 
not give any definitive answer, but just make sure they know it's a safe place to ask hard questions. <laughs> That's where I would start uh, 48 hours into yeah. the discovery. Probably <laughs> well, start and, there. And, and Chase, to that point, asking the question like, hey, is it okay to you if there's life, you know, so many, you know, light years away? Uh, and if they say like, no, it's not, then it's the, well, why isn't it? And, and like, mm -hmm. totally the, the questions is a thousand percent the right way. And I, I think where you went as far as like, whether we're talking about faith de deconstruction things, whether we're talking about historical discoveries, right? I mean, so there's, there's the thing of like, they're not sure that all 13 Pauline epistles were written by Paul exactly. And that is the mm -hmm. same conversation of like, okay, you know, what is the foundation of your faith? For a lot of people, that's enough to be like, this whole thing is BS. And like, you know, and, and, and often those are the environments where they were raised with the thought of like, it has to be this way, right? If you're brought up in the fundamentalist, very small, this is exactly how it is and you can't question it. Those are going to be the spaces where then people are going to freak out, it, you know, in, in either direction, either the nope, 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 resist the science, resist everything or thinking that this is going to blow everything up. And so I think you know, if, if NASA did work with Princeton to develop theologians, um, probably a lot of that work would be just around like the work of spirituality of like, how do we help people engage with really big, complicated things within their faith? And, um, maybe back to one of the questions I think you were kind of thinking of Mark, like what, you know, what paradigm do we have? Um, and, um, you know, is it, is it this exact discovery that opens up a new paradigm or is it this discovery? I, I think every, everyone has a discovery that they make or they learn about that opens up their paradigm in some way. It's a question of what does it open up into, right? I'll tell you what I'll be very mindful of would be to not discredit a real, like a credible scientific source. And the, something that I've been conscious of yes. the past two years is, uh, when I've been given space and an opportunity to credibilize, if that's even a word, I'm making it a word, to, to credibilize a lot of medical information that's been released and some of the science that we've been seeing, uh, uh, I've been very conscious to, to do that. Super important um, for a faith leader to model trusting of scientific authorities. Yes, a thousand I percent. I agree. So my natural next question uh, w would be there was a large discovery uh, in in the well. Well, can I can I pause you for yeah, one second yeah, yeah. there? Because I, I think a part of my answer, I'm I'm still in that. What he taught the students Wednesday <laughs> night, um, forty eight hours. I would hope that my local church would have gathered together the leaders and had some type of formal church position of where it's at so that I'm not just fielding questions and giving answers off the top of my head, even though I feel like I could, I also believe that if I'm an employer at a church and working for a church, whether it's a denomination or a church leadership that I echo that the best that I can. And so if it, if there is this like earth shattering, like future shaping discovery that happens on a Monday and we have two days to prepare for, Hey, you're going to be with students. You're going to have parents asking students what you talked about, that there not only would, would they trust me to have that conversation, but there would be some church authority official statement that I would be able to share Whoa. as well and help with that 
discussion. So, so I think it's both. Well, I, that I, I respect would... that. I respect that position a lot, Chase. Every part of me mm-hmm. pushes back against that just as a human and as an eight on the Enneagram. Like I absolutely <laughs> hate the idea that somebody else is going to give me my, my opinion on something, but I fully understand and respect <clears throat> that, uh, that, that stance that you have because of the position that you're in. And if I was an employer somewhere, I probably would, would have to at least uh, value that uh, concept and that idea. I'm Thankfully, I'm, I'm not in that position. So if yeah. it comes out, I'm just like, screw you guys. I'm going to go have my own opinion. Uh, come with me, and we're going to start a new religion. And yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, some, I mean, some of me would be really curious, like, what and, – and, you know, this is all hypothetical, of course, but, like – like what would what would you be hoping would be the content of that statement from the church would it be like straight up we believe statements about that or would it be like well the church is, is really the, the church is really good at saying um we believe this we believe that so that's exactly like so this would be an environment where like you know, so like right in COVID, you know, is as a as an unfolding public health crisis. Like my stance as a pastor, I was not going to give any like this is what I believe or this is what we believe about COVID. What the fuck? None of us know anything about this. Like no one can speak about this with authority. And so what I was doing was to say, this is what we are going to do. This is, you know, it was a, you know, that was certainly in a crisis of like, we just how to proceed about this. I I could see you also like laying out, you know, as a, as a community of faith, like this is how we are going to approach these questions. You know, we're going to approach these questions with curiosity. We're going to approach these questions with trust. We're going to approach these questions with, you know, a, 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 a sense of wonder. Uh, we are Christians. We believe in God. You know, we do believe in a creator. And if we, our discovery of the cosmos leads us to thinking that there's more beyond this, we will wrestle with this. Uh, personally, I would be much more comfortable with a church coming out with that kind of statement um, if if I saw a church coming out with a statement that was like, this is what we believe about the data, I'm going to be like, yo, the scientists haven't even agreed what the information says yet. <laughs> like, how on earth are a bunch of yeah, you know fair. church board members going <laughs> to hammer out a statement in a you know 90 minute meeting on a Wednesday night? You know? Yeah, no, that's fair. And and I think I would just hope that I would have a voice and a seat at the table in that kind of direction that the church wants to go. I think if if I'm in a position of leadership at a church it doesn't make, and I'm there at the church every day and I'm in the weeds. It doesn't make sense for a, a banker to have yeah. a lot of yeah. theological input into the direction of, but, but no, I, like exactly right. I think like a definitive statement wouldn't be the wisest thing, but some type of general direction yeah. and oh, leadership um, for the community. A hundred percent. So, so sorry, Mark, I I'd had to f- like add that. Oh kind no, of you, you're totally good. So extra. So scientists to already came out Cause now I kind of want it to happen and I want to like, I, I love those questions. So sorry, continue. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask, your, I have your, like your, six more just, so just be, be, be ready. Good. Um, I have, so the scientists have already come out with incredible discoveries proving that the, the age of the earth and collectively, yeah. and I will only speak for me cause I, I don't know either of your, uh, views on any of this, but like collectively the church as a whole that I was raised in, uh, rejected all of the, the stance of evolution in every capacity. Now we are approaching the pref- the precipice of that all over again. Mm. And do you think the church will be just as resistant to more evidence proving the age of the universe that will support that? 
versus I, the age of, uh, you know, the, the literal interpretation of the Bible. I, I would say that the, the way that the ch- churches have responded to the, to the age of the universe would be a pretty good predictor for how they might respond to this new information. <laughs> well, I, I'd, probably. Um, yeah, I, sure. There'd be outliers. There'd be people who would, you know, okay, I can now accept that the earth isn't six days old, but I draw the line at aliens, you know, like you'd have some of those folks, but like, um, I, some of this gets at the question of like, <laughs> not to get way too meta here, but like, what even is theology? Like, what is theological leadership? What, what is the role of a church to speak about the reality of things? Like, what are you doing when you are making claims theologically? Are you, I think some people have conflated, you know, certainly the more fundamentalist camps have conflated theology to being this, like, it is science. Like, like theology is able to make scientific claims, where, whereas I, I think there's another approach to theology, certainly mine. I, I, I never have belonged to a church that would formally make a statement of six days. Um, I, I would say that we we hold to a tradition that tells the story of six days, that, that communicates who God is and who we are as people. And there's a beautiful poetry in that poem that talks about the creation of the, of the, the world in seven days, et cetera. You know, but like all that to say, it's a question of like, what even are we doing? And, and like, as, as a pastor, I, I, I was a theologian and some of it, it's almost like a scope of practice question. Like if someone asks me a question about the age of the universe, I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't know. That sounds like a good question for an astrophysicist. You know, I can talk about like, how might we respond to an, a, a world that seems infinite to us? Like what, and, and ask really good questions of people of like, how does that, you know, impact you and your sense of yourself or the world or your faith, you know, with this information and, and walk with people in that way. But some of it, it does get back to just a question of like, what even are we doing, <laughs> you know, in a faith environment at least? What right? is, what is, this? what is this? What are we doing? Yeah. I, uh, I always try to caution, like I'm, I don't speak on behalf of the church. So I'm not trying to like think that, Oh, Hey, I'm chase. I think I know what the church is going to respond or do. I would say that I would say the churches that responded in a, um, more cautious approach to COVID would probably be the ones that would ascribe to the church doesn't have to be seven days old and the churches that didn't, think COVID was real or didn't have any mandates or didn't alter their programming would probably be the ones to first reject the other interpretations of Genesis. Well, it's, it's, it's a big, I mean, it's, so there's something called the false dichotomy fallacy. And that's an overgeneralization, but I would say generally the, the odds would probably be yeah. Be no, I think, I think you're, you're right with that, but there's this fallacy called the false dichotomy fallacy. Um, and it's, uh, it's a fallacy that presents only two options for something like, yeah. uh, Oh, what's a great example. Uh, if we were to see American flags, a, a protest, a protest with American flags, um, immediately I'm like, Oh, that's a bunch of racist people. And somebody like, no, that those are patriots. And it can either be one or another when yeah. realistically it's, it's probably, it could be a thousand things. Um, you get, you get these, you get these individuals that, that hold a belief system really close to their, uh, like their ideas are, are held close to their value system. And if their ideas begin to crumble, then they feel like the value of themselves are crumbling. 
And if their ideals and belief systems are all in one big basket, and in, in that basket you have not only um, Jesus died for our sins, and you have uh, that he is coming back for us, and that also uh, the creation of the earth is 6,000 years old, and it happened in seven days. Um, Can we flesh this out some more? Because there's more to that. Not only it's all that, but it's if you're a Christian, you have to be Republican. <laughs> It's if right. I'm serious. You, I, no, I'm serious. I, I, this I know. Is like I laugh. 80s, 90s, I laugh like, because even, it strikes a chord. I I only yes. But you're right. You're yeah. right. So like and all it's, of it's you can't cuss, drink, or like like it's it's all of that wrapped up in in one thing. You can't have one without everything. Right. Else. So if yeah. if if I present information that comes from really good and conclusive scientific studies that and if if you go down the scientific route science does not care like it, it doesn't mm-hmm. it, science doesn't care what your belief is it doesn't care what your race is science it's just data that's all it is it's just hey we uncovered data here's the data interpret it how you will that's that's all that's the the foundation of science and I, that's why i love it because it's it does it really just doesn't care and the the data was showing hey or the earth probably is is a little bit older than than we think it is initially and also probably um we're probably more connected with animals and plants than we think we are initially and you get a person who holds everything in one in one big basket and they also hold their ideals uh in correlation with their value system and if one of those gets proven wrong by Mm. science they have to reject all of science because Mm, nothing can fall apart without the value of them falling apart and that's yeah that their identity gets attacked and so if you find your identity in a belief system and then the belief system is challenged people think you're challenging their value system and who they are as a person. And that's where that's the disconnect. But they, they think it is on a subconscious level, right? That's oh, the yeah, problem. It's, not active. People, it's like, not active. If people were actually aware, like, oh, my heart rate is rising to this data, not because <laughs> I'm thinking, but because I think this is an attack on me and my security and salvation and blah, blah, blah. If people, if, if we could just make people aware of that, oh my gosh. But it's, it's, the, it's when people aren't aware that that's what's actually happening where it can become become a real problem part of this like it, it makes me think this is a conversation around not only like like you said like what is the basket you know and and, and how big is that basket it, it becomes a question of you know to use a big word epistemology right and i know you've, you've done an episode on epistemology is twice, that right? or we, twice actually we, yeah so like how do we learn what we learn and how do we you know incorporate that and so that's why i think chase and i keep using examples of or, or you've mentioned, you know, how did people respond to um, this scientific discovery? How did people di- respond to this historical discovery? Um, some of it is just like, a, or how do people respond to COVID? You know, um, it's a question of like, uh, how how much of an anti, anti-intellectualist thread is there in a particular faith community? That I think would be a major predictor around this conversation, right? Yeah. And, and I think there is value a ton of value in examining responses to covid this is like a global national historical moment that it it sounds right now in the moment cliche to keep using as an example and saying well covid this covid that but it it is just an incredible 
case study in sociology and, and all the ologies right. like we've we're experiencing living through it right now and so i i think there's a ton of value in looking at how we've responded to this how the church has responded how we've responded how it has created this false dichotomy of it's either true or not true it's either vax or unvaxed it's either fake news or it, 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 right. it's alternative it's, news <laughs> this is the alternative best alternative facts oh yeah this is the best case study and and it's not cliche because we're going to be studying it for a long time yeah. i believe until until this discovery of alternate life that kind of changes yeah. <laughs> that that uh, becomes the new kind of benchmark. well i have a question for you then chase yes sir i'm projecting this information comes down the line and you have time to think about it does your faith change in any capacity and if so how it doesn't no my faith doesn't change. No, zero. No. So God zero, so loved the no. world. Does that love project onto aliens and other worlds? Nope. All of them are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> that makes, you know what? That makes me believe in, I'm now a Calvinist and I can draw the line that it's the, the, you know what? We've been getting this wrong that like, it's only some humans that God wanted to send to hell. No, God created aliens. the aliens for the purpose of going to hell. I will become a double predestinationist if we learn that this is true. <laughs> a double predestinationist. Double. That's amazing. Double. Um, Look, I don't know. Should, should it change my faith? I, I know that, and this, I, their revelation speaks to people and things that aren't human or things that we know in in heaven, um, and so I'm cool with whatever. It's not, it's personally in my faith journey. I'm not. It's not going to shake my faith. Yeah, I'm going to be excited to watch God reveal itself to. Maybe he already has. I don't know. You know, but I, no, it d- d- does not shake, shape, shape, shake, shake. My you thing. know, I was talking to a, a, the- a theologian last night, actually on the phone, and um, I, I asked him. I, I, I said, "Do you think Jesus died for the sins of the aliens?" And uh, he kind of went into a. Um, uh, Richard War has a. He talks about uh, cosmic, cosmic Christ. Um, and actually got a lot of backlash from the modern day church from that. But he was like, I, I would like to believe that if there is, if there is a creator, if there is, and if we can, we can all just for a moment, uh, agree that there could be, and if there is a creator and somehow had, had their hand in the creation of not just humans, but of all life, not only on the earth, but on, in all worlds, and if that creator did love, that the love would extend not just beyond earth, but to yeah. all creatures. And I, I thought that was a, a beautiful thought. I'm yeah. like, yeah. I feel like if there is a God and if God does love, that I feel like the love would be big enough to extend to little green right. aliens on. So, so some of this is the question of like, what do we do with prior revelation and how do we incorporate prior revelation into our awareness? So to go back to the, like, you know, six days of creation example, um, you know, a, a lot of the ways that whether we're talking about how creation came about, 
uh, you know, there's the ancient Near Eastern cosmology of like the kind of these bubbles, like these layers and, and you know, the, the way that the sun worked and the way that the earth worked and the way that the heavens worked. And at, at one level to understand what it is that like they're saying in a literal sense, you have to at least understand what that cosmo- cosmological perspective is. However, I, I'm with you, Chase, that like my faith has come to a point where I don't need to have the the scientific understanding of a 10th century BCE person in order to believe that this is revealing something about the nature of God and the nature of reality. And so I, you know, being able to extrapolate like this, this faith tradition is revealing a benevolent creator who loves the creation, who would be willing to give up everything and, and, and adores everything that this creator has made. Um, you can extrapolate that to say that this creator, yes, even the things that we are continuing to discover out in the cosmos, like if God is this way in this environment, you know, this has revealed who God is. So it's, so what, what is like, ultimately, what is the Bible? What is all of this stuff? What is revelation? Is it meant to be revealing? This is, this is uh Carl Bart right here. If we want to get super theological nerdy, like is the Bible primarily a book of history? Is it primarily a book of religion? Is it primarily a book of morals? It has some of those things, but it is not primarily any of those things. It's primarily the purpose is to reveal who God is. And if we can take that and extrapolate that into whatever it is that we're discovering. But that that's that's when we're talking about, right? Like, what's the paradigm? What's the basket? What What is it that we're understanding the faith to be? And I don't think, um, I, I think a lot of folks, you know, would not <laughs> say it the way that we're saying it, I guess, you know. Tom, what do you... What, what do you hope we find? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I don't know. Like what, like what, that. what would be the coolest thing in your brain? Be like, Oh, if this, if this was the discovery, like the death star, what if they just, Oh like the death no. Star? Um, I hope it would be <laughs> that CS Lewis was right. And, uh, oh, Paralandra and no. the space trilogy. No. <laughs> what do you mean? No. no, that those books were terrible. And the references no. were terrible. No, I, I'm just discrediting all of that. That was garbage. That was garbage <laughs> writing from, yeah, it was garbage. Stop it. Chase, what? You didn't find any value in that? No, zero. I, oh my goodness. Sorry, I just went on a, a rabbit hole looking up the Greek word for earth in Acts 1 where it says, you shall, you know, to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth and what that um, word is. Uh, so sorry, I, I missed the whole Last I heard was Carl Carl Barth, and then I I thought I <laughs> checked was, out. I yeah, checked myself the, out the, at Bart, and yeah, I said the I listener did too. Up. So thanks for bringing us back. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, you, the, you're, the you're not talking about. Left. Like, you're not talking about Matthew 28 when he was talking about to the end of the age. You're talking about to the ends of no. The this earth. is yeah, and and as he's ascending into heaven on the cloud, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to, to the ends of the earth. Yep. What what is that that Greek word? Well, that's earth? the flat earth. Um, it's to the end, to the edge of the earth. Right, or, to the edge before you fall yeah, off. before you fall off. Yeah, the big ice cliff. Uh, you know, I actually saw a meme today that said uh, um, the earth is 70% water, so it's primarily water, and it's all not carbonated, so technically it's so a it's flat. Flat, flat earth. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, like, oh my God, that's a brilliant argument. Oh man, you got me. You got me. You're right. So you guys, are, you guys have been right all along. <laughs> so what did you find, Chase, in the, uh, to the ends of the earth? Uh, 
looking like here. Uh, I don't know how it's, I don't speak Greek. I didn't take Greek. So one great thing about being a, a youth ministry major at the Baba College I went to is you didn't have to take Greek. Yeah. So I actually was able to get my master's in youth ministry without taking Greek too. So I don't know how to pronounce this word. Um, it looks like it's pronounced G-H-A-Y. Um, it's the phonetic spelling. Uh, the physical earth, the arena we live in, which operates in space and time, which God uses to prepare us for eternity. Um, it's kind of linked with the Hebrew word, uh, the physical theater in which, uh, in which we are, um, which is interesting. So um, some of that, I mean, you know, that, that's like a classic example of just the work that happens in biblical interpretation, right? So you, you go to Greek and you, you go with, you know, what were the actual Greek words and everything that were written in there. Um, and then, and then you look at how, like, how is it translated? And and the work of translation is incredible. And there's so much interpretation that happens just to get to your translated Bible. Um, try to say that to the fundamentalist who says, you know, all oh, you guys are just interpreting. I'm just reading, you know, but um there, there's all kinds of work that's done to be able to understand like, okay, what was being said there versus what would be said going forward? Oh no, I think it's frozen. Uh, I think my internet is crapping out, um, but I'm still recording. So Mark, you're going to hear this afterwards and know that I'm still talking. So you can decide how the heck you want to edit this together. Um, but there's all kinds of examples in the Bible where, um, you know, the, the, the literal understanding or how a phrase would have been translated in the fifth century, in the 15th century, you know, whatever else it was, um, is different than how translations are translating now to make sense of the world that we live in. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if someone could make a translation um, that would talk about like to the ends of the cosmos, you know, like, you know, the way that Eugene Peterson plays with things in the message and, and all that kind of thing. So, so again, that comes back to like how literal did things need to be when we're reading, you and, and how do we use these past sources of revelation to relate to today? Well, it was the best information they had at the time. Yeah. You know, like a lot of using the paradigm that he had. A lot of a lot of a lot of people don't understand. Like when they read the Bible, like if if they were to read it in a literal sense, a lot of things wouldn't add up. Like don't eat hooved animals. That was the best science they had then because they didn't realize you have to cook them at a certain temperature before a lot of the bacteria that's in the meat dies. Mm. They just knew that hoofed animals, that people were dying and they didn't understand. So God came down with a commandment. Hey, don't eat. Well, it wasn't God's commandment. It was Moses. Uh, the, uh, don't eat hooved meat or hoofed animals and shellfish or whatever, because they didn't understand the science behind how to cook that food. That It was the best they had. Science has progressed. We've updated the models. But, in, but there's been a lot of things where we haven't updated the model because it goes against certain ideological frameworks and this is where i i have i had a really hard time for a long time um within the church i didn't realize we were gonna talk so much about the church tonight i'm good with it whatever i guess it all kind of you're talking to a current youth pastor and a former pastor and a a former youth pastor and former worship leader all well well, time out you did say i want to talk about how finding intelligent life would affect faith yeah, well, yeah. I, well and, and what affect the humanity, like the humanity response. I think having okay. this group of people is the perfect uh, group to talk about that because we're not mm-hmm. talking about um, any science anymore. I mean, the science behind it is is all been done, 
And now humans are responding and a lot of people are either going to turn to God, turn to a religion or turn from religion because their religion fell apart, their belief system. Mm -hmm. I feel like those who don't have a faith system will turn to a faith and those who have a faith system. And if it's super fundamental, it'll like fall apart. And then you have... the bulk of the people in the middle that'll just be like, eh, life okay. imitates art. So I'm sure there would be a almost shot for shot recreation of the independence day scene where they're on top of the building. <laughs> like I'm, yeah, that would probably happen. Life. Imitates I want to be that guy. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? I would be leave that the guy? Strip club early. He's going to, he's going to clock out early. He's going to do his last private dance and then head head to the strip uh and get a sign that that's going to be marked you know why i would do that because that guy well, i think it was a girl was it a girl it I, was a, it I, was a lady um she died first and died so quickly there was no <laughs> yeah. pain there was no suffering and she didn't have to worry about trying to figure out how to rebuild humanity after that sign me up i'm in right I, but she missed that incredible monologue on the airplane with the oh god <laughs> Of the of the uh, who who was the monologue for was it the president flying the president the yeah, who, yeah who then got in an airplane it was good it was good it was a good monologue can we pull it up I feel like I feel like <laughs> I feel like Chase I feel like you need to read it can you read the monologue this will be the intro to the podcast I'm gonna put it I'm gonna put it as the intro right at the top I'm kicking myself that I don't have the actor's name. Um, uh, it's not a Baldwin. Bill is it? Pullman. Bill Pullman. Pullman. Bill yeah. Pullman. Um, yeah, I, I'll pull it up right quick. Yeah, yeah. Man. I I feel like you need to read it. The monologue from Independence Day because this is kind of it, relative. I mean, it's kind of relative to what we're talking about here. Like, mm-hmm. now, granted, I don't think the aliens are going to visit U.S. or the Earth, and I don't think they're going to be hostile. But uh, uh, we may find intelligent life, and uh, that's exciting. That's super exciting. My faith will change drastically. So I'm super curious. Like Mark, you said, so you said two things. One, you think that people who don't have a faith might come to faith. Yeah. And then number two, you're saying that this would drastically change your faith. Can, oh yeah. I'm super curious. Like, like how, how would your faith change? Oh, I mean, it's my faith is changing weekly. I, you know, it's, I hold my faith kind of like, um, well, if you look at, uh, like representative democracy, um, you you vote in one person and they represent a whole bunch of bills and a whole bunch of things. And you're like, I don't love everything, but I love the main few things. So I'm going to vote that person in and they represent democracy versus a, a different type of uh, democracy would be called direct democracy, where people would vote individually on individual bills that they absolutely, I want this exact bill and I don't want this exact bill. It's a lot more work, but you get exactly what you want. And I feel like my faith system now is more like direct democracy versus representative democracy. Like I don't Hmm. ascribe to a faith system to where they tell me, we believe this, we believe that we believe this. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't really believe that. And, and and then they're like, we believe this. I'm like, ah, probably not. And then, they say something I'm like, oh, well, I could, I believe that. So it's like, I, I, I kind of go through each individual structure within the system itself and ascribe to some and not to others. And that changes rapidly. And so if we were to find conclusive evidence of intelligent life beyond earth, I have no idea how I would respond. Cause I don't know. I've, I've never been in that situation before, 
but I'm, right. I'm changing so rapidly now, I can just presume that that would happen then too. So what makes me super curious about that is it sounds like changing how you think for you is the same thing as changing your faith. Oh yeah, of course. I hold my faith lightly because I might be, I, I might be wrong. I, I hold my thoughts lightly. I, hold, I would I personally, hold I make everything. A well, of course, but I would, for me, I think there's a, there's a distinction between like how you think and how you, you know, intellectual and take in information uh, versus different kinds of intelligences and even different senses of like, what is the center of your being? Um, and I think, so that's where I would say like, it, with it, with how you're describing like bringing it's some of this is I hear you describing this like a scientist bringing in new information, <laughs> which leads you to different conclusions. Absolutely. Right? And with, that you have to constantly, new, yes. you have to constantly adjust, yes. you know, the information. No, no, to, I don't, to I don't have to, I get to. Well, and, well, of course. Right. And it's like, I take, I take pleasure and pride in that. Like with new information, my opinion changes and yeah. I'm, I'm, ha I'm at this constant flux of new information constant and so i'm constantly updating it's actually a, a, a pet peeve of mine people are like oh science is always changing its mind i'm like yes that's the whole idea the point. like yeah. we found something new and the old yep. ways don't work anymore and although side note the cdc does not recently fall into the category they are a bunch of asshats <laughs> right now um as a scientist i'm embarrassed for those scientists. Uh, Side note, done. Okay, we're going to move on because um, that is such a point of frustration for me. Soapbox. Uh, Love it. Yes. But with new information, my opinion changes. And like I, I held a fundamental belief for so long, like deep fundamental belief, and I was unchanging. And then yeah. there came a point where the, where the information was so overwhelming that it was like, I, I had this this concrete box around my faith that it was unwavering. It was it was inflexible. It was yeah. immovable. Mm. It had no room to grow or die or shift mm. or bend or it was it wasn't it wasn't alive. It wasn't this yeah. flowing, beautiful, growing thing. It was just like here's your faith. And you, it's the mold and they poured the yeah. cement in and it became this, you know, like I am never changing. This is, you know, my faith. I'm unwavering. And, and I, it, there came a point where it was so much, it cracked and shattered and then I had nothing. Yeah. And so now I'm, I'm, I have, I feel like it's like, like, like a garden of, of these like weeds and flowers and trees and everything is flowing and shifting. And sometimes it's sunny and sometimes it's raining and new stuff grows up and some stuff gets wiped out. And so mm -hmm. like I, I hold things lightly because I might be wrong. So in your garden, where are the roots? Uh, it below the plants. <laughs> Right. What's your question? But so, oh, so you're going to go flowy metaphor. And as soon as I ask a question, you're going to get super literal, asshole. <laughs> Jeez. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I mean. Cause I would use a vegetation analogy as well in, in almost the same way that like things grow and move and things come about. And, and the Bible uses these metaphors of like the wind comes and it sweeps away the whatever, but what is it that endures? 
um, you know, and, and to talk about like, what's the grounding and what are the roots? And, and so this is where I personally, I, I think there's a, there's a little bit of a distinction for me that I make from uh, what, what I consider the, how I think, uh, you know, even what I believe versus faith. Um, and, and, and I don't say that from an anti-intellectual standpoint of like, I won't let information impact my faith. Um, but it's, it's, these are different kinds of, I, I think we're doing oil and water. We're doing apples sure. and oranges here. Sure. And, and so this is why I can say, th- you know, something like, oh, this would be fascinating and I'd love to talk about it. And, and I think it would have some really interesting implications, but how does it impact my faith? Mm, not, I don't think it would change a whole lot at all. Personally. I don't know if I have any roots. Go ahead, Chase. Go ahead. I think the things that would change, Tommy, you don't consider faith, but Mark's definition of faith is, I don't know. I, I feel like you guys are saying it's oil and water, but I, I, I feel like it's way more close than you yeah, guys Yeah, I think it think. is. Um, because I, I, I totally... Is it Tom or Tommy? Because I go by I've, Tom. Okay, he, he Tom. Sorry. Him, my, I call I him Instagram Tommy. handle that's Tommy Fife. Uh, so you okay. know, that's for, well, okay. good. Because um, like everything Tommy's saying, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Everything's Mark saying. I'm like, well, yeah. I'm thank thankfully I, I don't believe the same thing I did when I was you know 13. So what? Where is that ground? And and I, I I'm having a hard time communicating it because. Yeah. It is this unknown, weird place. Um, oh, we're getting into the land of the mystics, 100%. You know, but, you're getting into I this stuff that's, that's so super hard to articulate. Though. I think it's incredibly important to articulate and to have a space for and to have these conversations. It, I, I, so I'm doing this on an iPad. So on, on, on the left, I see Mark explaining... Hey, like, because he's I, a liberal, he's on the left, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. I just like the, the picture here that I'm watching and listening is so oh, it's a bird. Is, is is so perfect um, that I'm hearing this and Mark. I would say your roots are in, incredibly faithful, not so much like a of of. Uh, words. This is a, a terrible time to not have words in, in an audio medium. But. <laughs> no, that's it, dude. I love the authenticity here because we're, like we're kind of going into uh, a a realm here that is kind of it lives beyond words. Like yeah. we are talking about things that normally we don't put to words. Which is why we use these incredible metaphors like gardens and roots and, and rain yeah, and stuff that right. we know, but that's not the thing. Of course, this is the this is what theologians call the difference between the cataphatic and the apophatic traditions. The cataphatic can use language to describe these realities, and the apophatic is the like language cannot capture this, and, and, the, and our science, metaphors fall flat. And scientists would would call this uh, experience qualia. Which okay. is which is huh. the human experience? Like if you were to um, if you were to see a sunset, I could explain the diffraction of light and why it turns purple and red, but I, you can't explain why you feel something deep inside of you. And mm-hmm. the color green, describe the color green. That that's quality. It's the human experience behind yeah. it. So that's we need exactly. the poets. We need the poets for for those exactly. things, right? Yeah. So. Um, we're, we're treading in ground that 
the, we have to use words that aren't the thing to describe the thing. Well, well, can, can we go agree ahead, that it's sacred ground? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I, I think this is sacred ground. I really do. Um, and Holy I, I think, mystery kind of thing. I don't, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I just, I just know that whatever lives here is super important. Um, yeah. For people, Mark, who are, I don't want to say non-committal because that, that's such a negative connotation. For people who are like, I, I can't wait to learn and to expand my my worldview and my faith and and what this looks like. And and for, for Tom, for you to say, well, man, I I can't wait to to you know, receive this information and then see how that affects my faith. It's, it's incredibly sacred. And Mm -hmm. I, I think it's beautiful. I, I, I love it. And, and I think how not only individuals handle this space, but how families handle this space, how Mm -hmm. communities of friends handle this space, how communities of faith handle this space is going to uh, either start or stop wars. Is either going to start or stop benevolence or charity or um, or that grand love that communicates all humanity or being or realms or space and time. That's where that love is going to come from, is this space. Just the music. <laughs> it was so good, Chase. Keep going. It's so good. Well, I'm just going to read the Independence Day monologue now. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know where you want to put things. The The one thing I wanted to say to, to Chase, what you were adding there, just to, to add a piece and then tie a few things you said, right? Like, some of this is the difference that I hold between faith and belief. I think belief is often like, those are the things that you believe. Those are the, the things of intellectual assent. Um, and, and Mark, you've already quoted uh, the great Richie Rohr. Um, so I'm going to bring in another one Love to talk Richie about Rohr. how, um, you know, he, he makes the point that whenever we see the word faith in the Bible for the next 20 years, we should remove the word faith and immediately replace it with the word trust because faith has gotten so associated with belief, with intellectual assent, with ideas, largely because of a faith tradition that was like, um, you have to believe these things in order to be saved. So we, we valued the mind, enlightenment, modern, modern mindset, all that, all that jazz. So he says, we're so tied up in that. We have to get rid of the word faith for the next 20 years and replace it with the word trust. And that when when the Bible is talking about, or, or when this faith tradition is talking about faith, like what I'm getting at is the trust piece. And to your point, Chase, that's gonna be something different for families, for kids, for faith communities, whatever else. And I think it will take leadership to be able to bring forward, like what is it that we are going to trust in? For a kid, now grappling with a world that might have intelligent life, that, you know, at that level of consciousness, it's as simple as you are safe, you are loved, and you are good. And that is what you can trust. And then all the information can come and go, but you are safe, you are loved, you are good. Um, 
I think as people get older, the things that you trust in are the goodness of God. You know, again, it's what do we do with this revelation? And if we say God is good, if we say God has made things uh, out of a, a sense of beauty as a creator, if it's a we are meant to be stewards of creation, you know, uh, God put Adam in charge of the garden to lead to the garden's flourishing. And that is our role, not not dominion, not, you know, doctrine of, uh, of, of discovery, all the bullshit that we've done with creation for so long, but like that is what we ultimately trust in the goodness of God and our role in participating in that. Like those are the kinds of things that like, I'm sorry, the science is not touching those for me. So when you ask me, when you ask me the question, does this change your faith? No, because my faith is grounded in these things, not because my faith is anti-intellectualist, but because what that information does is it might change things that I believe about the world, but it does not change where I stake my tent pole. You know, where is my trust? So that's, that's the distinction I'm trying to make. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, no doubt about it. The discovery of intelligent life will, will shatter worldviews and perspectives and everything as it should. And it, it would create some incredible conversations within the faith. You know, you just said not to use the word faith, but within like the religious community as well, not only with our faith, but every other religion it would have conversations very differently than Christianity. Well, have you guys seen the movie uh, on Netflix right now? It's called Don't Look Up. No, no. we don't have Netflix, Mark. I'm sorry. Dude, you, you, you want my oh. account? I'll give it to you right now. Yeah. So the login is M A R K H A A. Everyone's no, gonna log in. Got our daughter a Netflix gift card for Christmas. We haven't done it yet. We we have no. I, I want to watch it. We have Hulu and. Next time you get a Netflix. chance, there's a movie called Don't Look Up, and it's actually mm-hmm. it's uh, the movie is it, it's brilliant. It's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Meryl Streep is the president, and right. among eight thousand other actors and actresses that you're just like it's an an incredible incredible lineup it's it's incredible lineup and the movie is really funny but there's an asteroid coming and hitting earth and they they kind of hit on the political structure in the system uh and they use uh bad news in order to promote uh political agendas and then to get re-nominated in the campaign and and the whole idea of the movie don't look up is there comes a point where you can see the asteroid, um, I believe it's a comet actually in the movie. The comet is coming to hit Earth and you can see it. You can physically see it from Earth. And the whole one uh, side of the political party, their whole uh, uh, kind of chant was like, don't look up. And it was it's a play on other... Oh. And, and, and so they're like, yeah, if you don't look up, then it's not real. Like It, it, it was a play on the political oh, structure no. and system in America and like the climate of the political system currently, it's brilliant. And I won't give away what happens uh, because the movie is, is, is like, it got mixed reviews because uh, I would say one of the political sides gets hammered more than the other in the movie. And so probably a lot of people didn't like that. And you have to take it tongue in cheek. It's funny. Like yeah. enjoy the movie. Who cares where you stand like politically? Jonah Hill's in it. Kind of steals oh, a couple it's scenes. So like, I've just heard it's good. It's yeah. so good. Oh man, I can't wait to watch. Yeah, I mean, but not only that, like their science is really good. And on top of that, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is a professor, and Jennifer Lawrence is a PhD student at Michigan State University. In the movie, and that's my school. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Nice. Go green, go white. Oh, go white. that was yeah. so good. <laughs> Woo. That's good so I started watching You are it. so pumped right now. Oh, I was Just... so stoked for that. I mean, like, what are the chances it would be that? I mean, because Michigan State University doesn't have a huge <laughs> astronomy program. Like, it's pretty good. It's okay. They have an observatory, but it's real small. So the fact that they were doing it for wonder, them, I was like, eh. I wonder how Adam McKay... Like what the whole point, like, did he know someone that went there or did he just go and like the area? I wonder like what. None of it was he shot in Lansing. Short. None of it was shot in East Lansing or in Michigan. Short. None of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, not a good place to shoot any movie. Well, all. I mean, Michigan State campus is beautiful, gorgeous. But yeah. like there was a couple of times where Leonardo DiCaprio was like, yeah, I'm in Lansing, Michigan. And I'm looking at the scene. I'm like, no, you're not, bro. You're in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, do you live in, in Lansing now? Uh, on the south side. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I live cool. in Holt. I, I, Tom, where are you at? Grand Rapids. Okay. Yeah, we're both we're both Michiganders. And uh, gotcha. you, are you still in North Carolina? I'm in Columbus. No, so we uh, were in North Carolina for five years. We moved to Chicago. Um, oh, you said that for for three years, and then we've been here since 2017. Okay, in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. The, the and you're a Browns fan, right? I love the Cleveland Browns. Yes, he, he's ah. been he's been a Browns fan since I've known him, and okay. yeah, and ma- made fun of him for, for, from day one. That's okay. Hey, <laughs> he goes. I, I'm I a I'm it. a Bears fan, so I'm I can I can lay it <laughs> on you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I I do enjoy sports. Uh, yeah, I like sports. <laughs> well, he, I do enjoy sports. Well, he, sports are great. Well, football, basketball, baseball. Well, well you, I just, your yeah. podcast is uh, Orange is the Orange is the new Orange. Or? So, uh, I, in 2018, I started a Browns podcast, the Orange is Orange or Browns podcast. Um, I'm no longer hosting that show. I gave up hosting duties, which was a whole lesson in surrender and you like guys had some people on that, on that, on that. No. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We've had former uh, coaches. We've had former GMs, former That's players. Awesome. We've had national pundits. We've uh, I mean, yeah. Um, Terrell Owens was on our podcast, which was insane. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, we, we've been able to pull some guests. which has been cool. Um, also host a basketball podcast for the Cavs. And we have about 17, 18 shows on my podcast network. Um, 10 or 12 of them are sports related. We Holy have a handful cats. in the That's awesome. in the entertainment vertical. We have some so, so, like culture vertical and like a health and wellness vertical as well. So nice. But no, yeah. So when I say I like sports, I, I talk about them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> See, and I, I'm over here like I host a podcast and I think like 16 people listen to it every week, which oh, is stop dope. It. What? <laughs> Dude. Yeah, man. Well, any podcast that the average life is seven episodes. So any podcast that, is over seven episodes. Are you and then serious? I just love when people, yeah, yeah, that's the average. I didn't know that. Dude, I've been doing this. Yeah. This is year four. Yeah. yeah. What? Well, and then anyone who actually has like a dream and like wants to do a podcast and they do it, I love it anyway. Like just, you have this idea just to it. actually conceptualize yeah. it and make it happen is a whole feat. So props to both of you for, for keeping it going. And then, uh, so, and then to keep it going past the seven is just like a huge thing anyway. Yeah, so. man. I But my goal is to be the slightly left-leaning Joe Rogan number two podcast in the world. That's that's my – I love I love Joe Rogan. Lo, a lot of people <laughs> shit on Joe Rogan. Let, let me just speak on this real quick. Joe Rogan yep. has conversations that nobody's having. And, yes, his True. ideals might be, might be a little misogynistic and he might be a little yes. um, resolute in some uh, ideas. 
And I, I get that. Um, he's it. allowed to have those. But, dude, he is having conversations yeah. no one's having, and he's willing yeah. to have them, and he asks good questions, and he's arguably the best host in the world. Does a good job. It's incredible. what he does. Incredible. Does. And, it's and he's funny. gotten paid a lot of money to Crazy do what he does. Crazy money. Crazy money doing podcasts. Yeah. Like I, I love listening to him. Um, yet yeah, yes, he has some conspiracy theorists. He had like Oliver Stone on, which is so cool. He had Jewel Kilcher on, which was probably the most ridiculous episode I've ever listened to. Uh, he has he had like Peter McCullough and uh, Sanjay Gupta on there, and both those episodes I was like, I was like, yeah, y'all are a bunch <laughs> of right and left wing news, blah blah. Don't care. And then he had like Robert Malone, and that was super interesting. Go listen to that episode. So good. That's all I'm going to talk about, Joe, Joe Rogan. Yeah, he's only on Spotify. I, true story, I've never listened to a second of Joe Rogan. Um, so I, I take your word, and I understand that he has really important he's conversations. The best. Yeah, I mean, he it's number one podcast in the world, but it's there's a reason for it. Like he is the best host. So I listen to him because mm-hmm. I want to become a better podcaster. So like I, yep, I listen yep. to what he does, how he hosts, the questions he asks, how and, and so like I, and then I go back and listen to myself and I cringe and I'm like God I'm terrible and so like I'm getting better every episode and then I listen to people like you Chase and I'm like okay how are how are you a host how are you talking and I'm trying to become better and then I look at Tommy and I'm just like I want to grow my hair out but also <laughs> how articulate uh, Tommy is with his words I'm so jealous very, of that uh, very impressive yeah man you're being able to communicate <sighs> your brain words to your mouth words very well yeah the the fidelity well, between your brain and your mouth is so tight man and mine is yeah. mine is loosey-goosey i need to tighten that up it, it sometimes it takes me a while to get there like um I, I come from a family of like my dad and my sister are both uh fives on the enneagram i don't know if chase you do the enneagram stuff but i've done it once yeah just to know i couldn't tell you what it was it's fine uh, maybe a three I, no, that's, i don't know that's not that's not the important piece here the, the important piece is like they are the people who are quiet and then when they speak <laughs> When they speak, you listen because they've been <laughs> thinking this whole time and they've distilled it down to what you actually need to hear. And then I'm like, hey, just give me an hour and I will get there. I promise you. And I'll just, good. I'll just I'll say it. I'll, I'll say it really loud and I'll say it once. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's and that's and that's really it. Um, yeah. Dude, do you want to read that? Uh, you want to read that? that yeah, monologue? We'll, we'll leave you guys with this and. Every word I'm going to read is original thought from my brain right now. Mm. <laughs> uh, and so I'm off the cuff here. This is, I'm trying to be like, like Tommy here. Um, so this is what I have to say to everybody. Good morning. <laughs> In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you'll be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Mankind. Mankind. That word should have a new meaning for all of us today. Mm. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. (laughs) And you will once again be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny oppression or persecution but from annihilation we're fighting for our right to live to exist and should we win the day the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday 
but as a day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Awesome. <laughs> it's so good. Now I want to go watch that movie. It's very good. Oh, dude. Chase, thanks for coming on, man. This, this conversation was all over, but honestly, I think it's exactly what it needed to be. And I'm really thankful for you coming on, my friend. It's good stuff. I love you. Thank you for the invite. Tommy, it's a pleasure to meet you. It's Tommy, man. I'm sorry. I know it's it's, it's Tom, but... <laughs> you know what? It's good. I can take it. I like okay. it. <laughs> Great to meet you, man. Tommy, yeah, dude. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks so much, brother. My pleasure. Anytime. Cool. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody. <laughs>